Hello there and welcome to the Secrets of Organ Playing podcast. I'm your host, Vidas Pinkavichus. Today's guest is Hans Ola Eriksson, a world-renowned Swedish organist, pedagogue and composer, currently the head of organ and church music department at McGill University in Canada. And I was very excited to meet with him live in Vilnius, where he taught at Organ Summer Academy, organized by the New Organ Forum, under the leadership of my good friend and organist, Balis Vaitkus. And Hans Ola also performed a remarkable recital uh, at my church uh, in Vilnius University, St. John's Church, where he enormously expanded the possibilities of this instrument. So we'll talk about that in our conversation, as well as other areas that interest Hansola the most. Uh, that is the modern uh, and avant-garde organ music, Bach music, and um, special features of organ sound, because he is also a composer, where he explores organ sounds, and also the creator of Studio Acousticum project, uh, where he created basically the special organs in a, uh, in a remarkable hall uh, designed to explore special features of organ sound in Piteå, Sweden. So let's go to the show. So good morning Hans Ola, I'm so delighted to have uh, this conversation with you and uh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. You're Thank very you. generous. Not at all, I mean normally after a concert you leave sort of early the next morning but today I'm only leaving in the afternoon so I have plenty of time. I might remind our listeners uh, the background story of our meeting of course. Um, we are uh, having this conversation the day after amazing and remarkable recital of Hans Ola Eriksson in uh, Vilnius at Vilnius University St. John's Church, where he played a broad array of, of um, very seldom played pieces, at least in Lithuania. Uh, for example, uh, Bengt Hambreus, right? M- uh, Messian's uh, 1967 cycle uh, f- uh, from, the, from the mysteries of the Holy Trinity. Um, and then uh, various lesser-known pieces by Carl Nielsen and then other uh, French-influenced uh, uh, classical style anonymous setting of the Canadian live door basically, right? Um, uh, organ book uh, that was recently re- discovered in the library. So basically, and other works, right? And uh, I have to mention that Hans Ola uh, during this weekend taught uh, Lithuanian, Latvian students, right? Um, how to play Bach, basically, how to play and perform major organ works by Bach. And uh, so we, we have to talk everything that we experienced during this weekend. And of course, I want to um, basically start this conversation with how amazing, reminding you how amazing your yesterday's use of our instrument, of our Kirnberger 3 temperament, which we have. I'm, 
I'm very 100% positive that after this evening we had yesterday possibilities of this instrument were expanded enormously because of you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, uh, talking about just yesterday's um, uh, refreshed memories and experience, uh, what do you think about um, this instrument? Yeah, I mean, for me, every instrument is a challenge. Mm -hmm. And um, I've had many experiences with, let's say, um, the top instruments in uh, the world and since let's say 20 years I also get invited to play the famous instruments and of course you know where everything is the way you expect them to be but my background is really to play a lot of different kind of instruments also let's say instruments that are eclectical and instruments that you have to tame because not every instrument plays itself and certainly in the university church uh, yesterday the major challenge was the heavy action I have actually never played a heavier action ever in my life. And um, it's a long time ago since I really had to invest so much focus and, um, and power. But at the same time, you know, if you, you, you have to do it with arm weight and with grace, because if you do it with pressure, you cannot move your fingers. So this is, this is the really big challenge. Um, now, this instrument is placed in a fabulous room. And of course, the room makes 50% of the instrument. Always, yes. And many organ-building friends, they have been also saying, you know, in that church it's not so hard to build an instrument because everything sounds good. <laughs> um, and this is certainly the case with the university church. It is, it is a stunning, uh, stunningly beautiful reverberation. The decay time is sublime, I would say. Mm -hmm. And... Um, but the challenge, as I said, was to be able to play detailed with lots of ornament, like in the French classical repertoire, with the Rameau and with the Livre d'Orgue de Montréal, where also the, the, the outer fingers, 5-4, 3-4, have to play a lot of different small ornaments. And um, yesterday I I send thanks to my former piano teacher up there um, <laughs> that she actually insisted on all those Chopin and Brahms etudes because without that you are lost. 
Exactly. I hope people listening to this conversation around the world, basically 89 countries around the world, they will appreciate the importance of piano technique for the organist, right? Mm. Especially when playing heavy action, heavy mechanical action, when you play with coupled manuals, right? Like uh, all three manuals coupled when you need it. And for extended periods of time, of course, if you don't have these uh, good, uh, very, very uh, independent finger technique uh, worked out through extensive, as you say, Chopin works and even uh, sometimes special exercises like double third scales, mm. then people are very, very um, confused and sometimes they panic. I, I've seen, I've seen on this instrument too. So you are, uh, of course, you are virtuoso. I, I cannot uh, deny this, and uh, your pianistic, of course. Um, Virtuosity really pays off when you when you play. But you are not you're using this instrument, or you were using this instrument not as pianist would do. Of course, you are tremendously experienced organist, and you know how to transfer pianistic technique to the organ. Of course, yes, yes. because uh, without that, you would basically break everything and no control of the releases and yeah. attack. Uh, um, no, at, at the same time you are so right Vidas, because I mean it is not, you cannot put one to one the piano technique on the organ, but the refinement of the individual finger that you get in piano practice is important. And I also said in the master class when we talked about Bach that you know if you decide to play something later than Mendelssohn, you need piano technique, a solid piano technique. Because there's been a lot of talk about the clavichord and the superiority of the clavichord. I agree, I love playing the, the clavichord, especially Carl Philipp Emanuel Bach and this repertoire. But I think it's a little bit exaggerated. Um, and it's you can actually not do that one-to-one -one either, although the clavichord was the Baroque time, their practice instruments, of course, because they didn't practice the organ, because to be able to play the organ you needed calcants, you needed someone to pump the organ, and you know that cost money, and no one paid for that, so you had to do your practice otherwise. But. Um, Today, for the young musician, for the studying musician, I think it's, it's important to have a base, a basis in the romantic piano um, technique, but also to be informed about the historical keyboards. So harpsichord, of course, which is also another completely different thing, the clavichord, and the fortepiano. Mm -hmm. So, um, the, uh, the young player today should try to master all of these different keyboard instruments. Should also be able to play on a super light action, or as we had it yesterday, on a really challenging um, uh, hard action or heavy, heavy action. Do you think, do you find, uh, talking about just yesterday's uh, repertoire, 
I was so tremendously impressed by, for example, piece by Bengt Hambreus, a Swedish composer who just passed away in 2000, I think. Um, and uh, he was um, basically um, uh, teaching for a long time um, in Canada, mm -hmm. where, where you teach now at McGill. And um, of course, big inspiration for your, uh, for your promotion of avant-garde, uh, new organ works around the world, of course. Uh, so I was basically very much deeply moved, not only impressed, but moved by your handling of this instrument and the clusters, cluster technique. I, I don't believe anybody played clusters on my organ <laughs> before. So And it's about time. Yes. And I can imagine people listening to, to this performance downstairs to this beautiful, beautiful starting and ending episodes intercepted with, with the clusters would think, what is he doing upstairs? <laughs> is the organist drunk and uh, banging the, the, the barrels and uh, <laughs> buckets of water? But on the other hand, even non-musicians can appreciate the different colors of sound, the, the enormous spectacular combinations of stops, right? And you see also when we are talking about contemporary techniques or actually this, this piece is an old piece, I mean it's 50 years old, you know. Uh, but this was the golden era of experimental organ music, I would say, you know. I love the music from this time, from the 60s. I think it's so fresh. It is fresh, even today. And, you know, when, when you have to play, or when you're playing this, you have to be very, very careful. And I really try, even if it's more extreme sounds, to play from the keys so that I would never risk uh, hurting the instrument, but always playing with the instrument. And I mean, I've been playing similar pieces, and I'm going today to Kappel, to the Abschnittger organ in Kappel, and I'm going to play that piece there also. Wonderful. You Wonderful. see. So, but of course, this is a, a precious, precious instrument, yeah. Um, and, um, but, if you have the right technique, um, nothing will happen. You know, when I was young, when I was a teenager and I played this music, um, it could happen, you know, that mechanically things went wrong and I had to call the organ builder. Yes. But I always tell my students, you know, keep very, very soft hands, very controlled action, otherwise you'll have to call the organ builder and you will have to pay the bill. And remember the story about uh, Ligeti's Volumina, how the organ motor or blower uh, just um, uh, exploded or, or went on fire? Uh, remember the story? Uh, I'm not sure if yeah, I'm this, this, telling this correctly. This is, no, it's not correct actually, but you know, it's, it's a legend. It's a legend. It's a legend. Good. And you know, I love legends. So let's say it, the motor blew up, but of course it didn't. Uh, but uh, on electrical actions, of course, if you play, if you play too long, too much, the fuses will go. You know, mm -hmm. nothing, nothing else happens. Mind you, I have had 
one experience many, many years ago in Helsinki, together with my former teacher, Torsten Nilsson, we played a forehand improvisation. And it actually started to smell a little bit burnt. Oh. <laughs> but, it, but, it was, but it was the fuses that just um, spark, I guess sparkled. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So wonderful. Uh, such a... Um, uh, such a fabulous way to expand possibilities of the organ. This even in Kapil when you say this 17th century organ, right? But you will be playing with 20th century or 21st century techniques. And uh, if it's mechanical, it works very well, right? You can, you can uh, sometimes even experiment with half-drawn or just a little bit drawn uh, out uh, uh, stops, stop handles, because then, of course, you can take advantage of, of these out of tune for the regular air mm. sounds, just tremendously uh, uh, expanded tonal palette, right? Mm. Yeah. yeah, you see, and my experience with audiences all over the world is that, you know, if you present a program where you give them respect, you always have to respect your audiences and you, you show them comforting music uh, or you show them that this, this is not going to be dangerous for you and then you play something like this then most people accept this very much and they love it but if you would only press on and do uh, unfamiliar sounds it is it is hard to take. I only do that for special audiences. Exactly, like conferences and yeah. Uh, yeah. special conventions, right? Where exactly. the specialists, specialist audience uh, uh, assemble, and you know they can appreciate what you do exactly. without further explanation or yeah. uh, interaction. Because I'll tell you, Vidas, I have so long for decades. I have had to defend myself and defend my art and defend what I am doing. I have stopped doing that because I'm fed up with defending because it doesn't bring myself and my artistic visions forward. If I have to say I'm sorry um, or explaining, um, it's something which is uh, comes very unnatural to me because it, I feel I don't feel that I develop but I have been shouted at in churches for playing Messian I've been screamed at for, for playing and said that this is a sacrilegious act when I have played Ligeti you know and that, that hurts that hurts very much mm -hmm. and um, therefore I I am. I do not really accept this anymore. I had, I had a turning point in Switzerland uh, some 12 years ago, where there were only organists, and I was invited to play an extreme program by the organizer. So I said, of course, you know, if this is what you want, some modern classics, but mm -hmm. also some some extremer pieces, and. Um, after the day after there was a conference and everyone attacked me 
and lots of people left. Mm -hmm. And the person that was leading this discussion asked some of the guys that attacked me the most if they stayed throughout the concert. And very many people said, no, 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 we left. And then he said, then you have to shut up. No right. Then you have no right exactly. to say anything. You know who has the right to criticize you? The person who is in your shoes, who is doing the work you are doing. For example, another organist who is promoting this kind of music, then of course he can or she can say, Hans Ola, you are doing something, you know, too you're taking things too far. Mm. Maybe people don't understand. Here is the way I do it. Mm. But these critics, mm. they don't do anything. Yeah. They, they just, uh, the best they can hope for is to, to say, I don't like it, right? Mm. Therefore, it must be something wrong with you. Exactly. Right? Yeah, very uh, cool. and, and of course, you as an artist from the big capital A, you have to shut them out of your artistic basically work. Because you see, one more thing which is important. Uh, for me, there is no difference in playing Hambreus or Rameau. I simply play it because it's good music. Um, and I don't speculate with that. I just pick pieces that interest me, and it could be from the very earliest, from Robert's Bridge Codex, to pieces that might be written tomorrow. And uh, But if it challenges me, and if it interests me, and if I think that it works together in a program, I spend tremendous amount of time composing my programs to get them. Because, you know, if you place pieces in the wrong order, exactly. they could actually destroy each other, you know. Mm -hmm. Like yesterday, I thought that you spend enormous amount of time thinking about the precise ordering of Rameau, for example, and um, anonymous uh, tablature book, uh, Olive d'Org, and of course Carl Nielsen, and Ben Cambreus and Messian, and Bach, Richard Kars, uh, for six parts, right, from the musical offering. Um, as you say, if you just mix something, if you play in chronological order, right, everybody thinks, oh, uh, all this music first, right, yeah. you play what uh, you you would play Montreal tablature, then would play Quebec. Uh, I'm sorry, the probably Rameau and then Bach. That wouldn't work at all no. for that no. No. experience. I haven't done that for decades. Mm -hmm. But um, but when composing the programs, you know, I very often work, try to work with some kind of symmetry. And this is also guiding the listener, so so you can follow the the thought process. Exactly. And especially to have a strong center, which was yesterday the Richekara Sevoci from the musical offering, you know, which is like a like one of the masterpieces of European culture. You know? I mean, this is undoubtedly one of the most amazing compositions ever and uh, oh well this is this is what it is and um, and also the 
for me the rediscovery of Carl Nielsen is perhaps the most interesting thing I have done this summer because um, I was invited uh, to play a concert, uh, the closing concert of the Montreal Summer Organ Academy and my predecessor Professor John Grew asked me if I could play Carl Nielsen's Comuzio which is uh, one of his biggest instrumental pieces. Um, it's 25 minutes and, uh, and I said I would love to play it but I haven't played it. I have had three, four students playing it but I haven't played it. But, uh, so I learned it this summer and it was an amazing trip. A journey to, to, to learn this piece, to spend time with it. And at the same time then I looked at the 29 preludes pieces that I had looked at when I was a teenager and I thought that they were I couldn't understand them they mm -hmm. didn't speak at all to me uh, because I didn't understand small pieces you see but now I think I understand small pieces and uh, the older I get the smaller pieces I also play I play the large pieces but I also love playing miniatures and these pieces by Nielsen, I would say, they are distilled masterpieces. Sometimes only eight bars, but so perfectly composed. And we must not forget that Carl Nielsen, he was probably one of the last really great symphonic composers. I mean, he's, he's really on the level of Sibelius, of Bruckner, of Mahler, of Beethoven, you know, he's, he's up there. And we don't have this kind of organ music. We don't. Uh, I respect Vian, but of course, you know, he wasn't at that level. I respect Vidor, but he wasn't at that level. How about uh, Tournemir and Alain, of course? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But he lived too, 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 for too short, right? Yeah, Tournemir, I... I love. And I think for me Tournemir is the missing link between the French Romantic and Messian. Uh, I believe that Tournemir will be rediscovered in a broader perspective uh, quite soon. And um, and Alain, I am also a great admirer of Alain's music. Um, we have had a big problem with Alain. When I had completed the recording of the complete works by Messian, the record company asked me to also record the complete works by Alain. Mm -hmm. And I said no, and I'll tell you why because the, the sources were so doubtful at that time. We only had Marie-Claire Alain's three or four editions of the music based on the same, of the same first print, yeah? And now we have much more information. We have more manuscripts and we have a fabulous edition by Helga Schaorte. 
Now this edition has been uh, criticized at length, especially in France. Actually it wasn't possible to buy it in France even. Um, but we need to have more material in order to, to make possible choices, not speculative choices. Um, if we have a lot of possibilities to choose, we can still want to make a speculative choice, but then it's within the reach, you see. Um, because Marie Claire, she was, she was only, what was she, 11 when exactly. he died or something. I mean, I don't believe in the bloodline. It's ridiculous, but of course she did great work for this music, no doubt about that. But she also sat on on uh, information, and therefore I think we need to to greet and respect and value the edition by Helga Schauerte. Mm -hmm. I I wrote to her directly when I got this new edition, and I said to her, "You're a heroine of." music today a female hero exactly yeah uh, so um, so those two composers but back to Nielsen I just want to say it's the highest quality it is I've noticed these 29 preludes that you played eight of them yesterday they were very very short but a tremendously well thought out uh, like uh, they were like a uh, models for bigger compositions too. Maybe maybe Nielsen, you might know better of course, maybe Nielsen expanded these ideas in his other works, not only for organ of course. Maybe he used it as a sketches, maybe maybe things like uh, uh, really models. And it reminded me of, of these short preludes mm -hmm. for organ by Mikhailoius Konstantinos Cirlonis, our yeah. composer Lithuanian. Yeah. They are very very short and also like as preludes, but of course Nielsen is much more expressive, probably uh, leaning towards uh, towards this darker side of, of the late Romanticism, right? Mind you, Cilionis, uh also has this, and I think Cilionis is more experimental, and uh, there are things with his music that I really admire. I have recorded a few pieces by Giulionis and and it was a great experience yesterday to visit the the center here in Vilnius um, and also to get a little bit of a better grip of his his paintings. Next time I come to Lithuania I will surely go and visit the, the collection and see the originals, you know. In Konas, yes. In Konas, yeah. So, Hansola, uh, people listening to this around the world, of course, they are very well aware of your tremendous uh, uh, work you do for the uh, modern music. Not only modern, you, you were so versatile yes, last night, of course, uh, expert on Bach. You recorded all Bach works, right? Messian works. But it's interesting. Do you rem recall the first incident in your life which led you into your lifelong fascination with the organ. Who inspired you? Yes, I think I do. 
the first one I can tell you because I was um, I was a boys soprano with uh, the Stockholm Boys Choir. So I went to choir school and um, and from the age of eight. And this choir, we also went on tours. And in 1969, when I was 10, we visited Prague, actually. Uh, and we were one of the few groups that were allowed in there because, of course, we were only a choir, you know. Wouldn't shake up the, the <laughs> situation. Um, I remember the organ then, I remember the organ from the concert hall in Prague that it was a pretty hopeless thing. But then a few years later we did a tour to Holland and there was one organist, a uh, Dutch organist that came with us on this tour, his name was Kos Bons and he played the F minor, the large F minor Fantasia by Mozart. Mm -hmm. And I was absolutely blown out of my mind when listening to that piece. Um, yes, that was the first really ground-shaking experience with, with the organ instrument. F minor Fantasia. And uh, just to think about that, that for a second, it's, it was originally conceived as a flotanur, right? Yeah. A, a piece for the mechanical clock. We have mm. just a few pipes, basically. Mm. Not n at all sounding just like we play today, very dramatically with mixtures and plenum sounds and even reeds. Um, and, and of course, um, maybe Mozart had this idea for the lar larger organ, could have been because his music is so dramatic here. There, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the Flötenur pieces was, of course, a way for Mozart to survive. Mm -hmm. I mean, he did these pieces on commission towards the very end of his life, you know, where his financial status was a catastrophe. So I think, um, I think it's, it's, uh, it's fair to play this music rather dramatic there is a lovely recording on YouTube on the F minor Fantasia played by Pierre Cochereau at the old organ in the Notre Dame. I love that sound. It's so out of tune and it just sounds like a lion's roar. Bah! <laughs> um, and um, yeah, in any case, Experiences like this, when you are when you are young, when you are a, uh, when you are a young person, of course, changes your life. You know? Uh, I normally say I never had any choice. You know, I I was in music already from from the age of seven, and then I've just been keep doing it. You know? It's your mission, right? Basically. I don't know if it's if it's my mission, but I do know that I that I never, I could never choose. Mm -hmm. But it was it music, just felt, felt. Music chose you. Perhaps, perhaps. That's the only way, right? Yeah. For the true artist, you you don't choose your medium, uh, not medium. You can choose the medium, but mm. the art, the muse, basically. Mm. She uh, she, if we believe in music, but she's, this this spirit or, or the, the, the 
idea basically art of idea comes from other spheres right yeah. and you are just a medium probably to either to transmit into the sounds or to write down something on paper or in, into words on, on, on canvases whatever whatever it is um, how much we want to romanticize it or not I mean I still think it's it's also the fruits of a lot of hard work absolutely and um, and um, it's also a lot of doubts you know um, especially when it comes to composition you know I've, I've been on and off in composition my whole life you know sometimes I do a lot sometimes I do nothing and then I don't know where my music is going a few days ago you asked me what I'm doing now in composition and right now I am in a collecting mood I collect material I collect sounds that I like um, for the organ because I will write a larger organ cycle that's uh, the next thing and I will also write a lot of choir music I will write a choir book that I have decided this summer and, uh, and uh, then we will see mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> So it's wonderful. Uh, you're, compos you're also very, very impressive composer. I first uh, heard you and your pieces um, performed at uh, uh, Gothenburg International Organ Academy in 2000. And uh, together with OSHA, we went there as students uh, just simply to observe and, and to participate. And I remember your this remarkable uh, cycle called uh, uh, four beasts amen right of, um, it it's it has such a novel idea of uh, including different sounds of different Schnitger organs uh, on tape and reproducing it uh, on live loudspeakers uh, stereo like, or quadraphonic loudspeakers around the world or five right and you were also at the same time playing live on this newly uh, inaugurated basically uh, copy or not copy but basically uh, North German style instrument in Orgrita New Church so can you remember this experience oh, you yeah. wrote it? Oh yeah very much very much um, it was a great experience but it started that Hans Davidson the project leader of the uh, Go Art uh, at that time he um, he asked me if I could write an organ mass for the inauguration, and uh, then I hadn't composed for a while. But then the pool got too strong, you know, because this was this was something that just felt right, and I managed to create time in my calendar to really spend. A good year working on that, going to the different Schnitger organs that was inspired, that was an inspiration for the project in, in Gothenburg. Mm -hmm. So that's the Schnitger organs in, in Hamburg, Jacobi. It is, uh, uh, it is Stade, Lüdingwort, 
and captive. Mm -hmm. Those were the sort of uh, model organs that they analyzed. Yeah. And I analyzed them in my way, so I sort of dissected them from sound. You know, I recorded the bellows. I recorded only the action, I recorded a lot of different sounds. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I started to put it together into an organ mass actually, with a preludium, a kyrie, a gloria, a sanctus agnus dei, and also an interlude, which is instead of a sermon, and, um, and a um, a piece for the communion, uh, so communion and a postlude. Mm. So, uh, and I have played this a lot. I, I'm, I think I have played this piece all over the place. I'm sure 50 times, oh. all over the world, and um, and this has been very inspiring. So I have played it on so many different pitches, you know, like like in Alkmaar, or in Stade, or in Norden. Norden, I forgot Norden. Norden is, of course, the fifth, uh, the fifth and the perhaps most astonishing instrument. Oh, yeah. 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 So what were uh, the, the range of uh, people, people's reaction to this cycle around the world? Um, yeah. Um, I think that they were they were very interested. I mean, I use a lot of existing material because I asked Hans Davidson one question. So I said, now when you have worked so hard for such a long time to create this instrument, if you were to distill this down into one piece that you have been dreaming about playing, mm -hmm. what would that be? And then he said, Matthias Weichmann, the last variation from Assistas Heilung's Common Hair. Of course. So then I used that music for the prelude uh, in my organ mass. I used that as, as material. Mm -hmm. um, I had very, very good reactions, very, very friendly reactions. You know, I dedicated the whole thing to my friend Harald Vogel. And he has also helped me promote the piece, and uh, he's been an enormous support throughout mm -hmm. all this time. You know, I know him since I was 14. When I was 14, I I registered for him in Lövstabruk in Sweden, and um, I think he's one of the most sympathetic persons in the organ world, and I respect him tremendously. He's such an artistic. He is probably, yeah, Harald Vogel sh will be remembered for hundreds of years in the future oh, for yes. his passion, love, and uh, inspiration from the early uh, or early instruments yeah. and the work he did in in Ostfriesland or, and um, all and over the world, all over the world through the, his output, of course. Yeah. So I'm glad uh, you met him too. Yeah, I'm hoping to meet him in a few days in Kappel. I would be surprised if I will not meet him there when I play there on Friday, I think. Mm -hmm. So, wonderful. And of course I know that uh, um, in addition to these uh, 
strange and, and remarkable sounds of 17th century organs, you also have a keen in interest into the sound itself. Can you, uh, can you give us a little bit insight into your uh, studio acousticum project? What, what it's about? That was a big project. Um, it was inaugurated in 2012. Um, Studio Acousticum is a concert hall um, located in connection to the School of Music in Piteo. Piteo is a relatively small town at the coast of northern Sweden, uh, some 900 kilometers north of Stockholm. And there we had this fabulous concert hall built. And the architect of the concert hall contacted me and said, Hans Ola, don't you think that in the new concert hall we should plan a space for an organ? And I said, naturally we should plan a space for an organ. And then the architect asked me, how much space does an organ take? So then I I made some drawings, I spoke to some organ builders and you know I said to him this is the space we will need. So when he drew the concert hall it was already planned for an ideal space for an organ. And um, then how it was we got a donation from one of the biggest donors of cultural or university work in Sweden, the Kemper Foundation, and I got 10 million uh, from them so we could start the project and the university approved. Um, but the, um, the total sum would have been 35 million crowns, which is a lot of money. So it's like um, 3.5 million euros. Um, and then we started and I had a project group with the named person Harald Vogel was in the group, Kevin Boyer, university organist in Glasgow, Hampus Lindvall, a young Swedish organist who is titular organist in Saint Esprit Church in Paris, and a computer genius Peter Bengtsson uh, from Sweden. And then we 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 opened this so uh, anyone could give an offer. You know, we had specified what we wanted approximately. And then, uh, after long discussions, uh, the German organ builder Gerard Wöhl was chosen to build the organ. And then the actual work started, you know. I mean, he gave a tender, so an offer. Um, but then we, as the expert group, we wanted perhaps the organ to be a little bit different. And then work started and, um, and then we agreed on, let's say, uh, a master plan with, it, would, it was going to be a, a rather huge organ with many faces. Because Gerard Wöhl is one of the few organ builders that um, that has the capacity to build 
in Baroque style, in Romantic style, German and French, and also to think freely and openly within certain frames. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so, therefore, the organ became rather large. So it has a Hauptwerk, an Oberwerk, which can also be used as a positive with different swell functions. It has a very large swell. It has a solo. It has a very large pedal and also quite a number of percussion instruments. Uh, wind, we can mani manipulate the wind supply. And um, other things were thought about. But so when we inaugurated this in 2012, we were sort of, let's say, two-thirds through with the project. But the last third will hopefully happen sometime in the future. Now the university or the School of Music in Piteo is in a very, very severe financial crisis. And some of your listeners might even have heard that there has been a rumor that the Studio Acousticum organ is up for sale. And this is true. But uh, I presume and I predict that the organ will stay in the hall and that there will be just a broader ownership. Mm -hmm. And I, I welcome this because then perhaps we can go on with the next step of the project which would be to build this overtone harmonics division uh, with, with never heard before sounds also to build the organ as a studio in real time, interactive and active. And the third part would be to work with um, lighting design in real time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So these things are planned for. I mean, I've done plans for all this. It's basically just to launch, mm -hmm. but then we need another big, big money, 10 million crowns or mm -hmm. 1 million euros. And, um, so we will see if that happens. Mm -hmm. The worst case scenario is obviously that the organ will be sold and transported somewhere else. But that would be a cultural scandal mm -hmm. of such proportions oh, yeah. that a university would break their neck trying to do something like this. They would lose all uh, trustworthiness. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, the instrument is too important to be to be relocated some, somewhere, right? And uh, um, probably they understand that, of course. Yeah, I think so. I think so. It's more, it's more. Of course, this this um, this instrument is uh, is iconic already. Okay. Yeah. So you know, if you say we are going to sell the icon, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. and of course this this has been all over the pre press. All around the world already mm -hmm. so I think that they knew what they did when they said we are going to sell the organ you know <laughs> so I mean they are pretty pretty smart people yeah excellent so when you when you go, go back home to McGill what uh, awaits you there do you have uh, a line of students waiting for you now this next year right 
yes, Hungry I, students for yes, your I teaching? Yes, I do. I do, actually, and I'm very happy. I have a fantastic organ class. I have 14 students this year, and um, they are everything from bachelor licentiate to doctoral students. Mm -hmm. So, and we work very wonderful together. They're mostly from Canada and US, uh, some Europeans also. And um, I have been working with some of my students all throughout the summer over Skype, or they have sent me recordings and I have commented because I have some students that are taking part in competitions. So of course, you know, you have to support them all through the summer. Excellent. So your work will continue not only when you're physically practice, uh, there in, in, in classroom or studio, you can travel the world, right, and still be able to teach sometimes. Yes and no, Vidas. Um, in, uh, in North America, it is a little bit different than in Europe. When I was working in Europe, I felt that I had the freedom to go anywhere where I wanted, when I wanted, because I could always give back my lessons. Mm -hmm. In North America, the students pay for their individual lessons, and this is good. And you are supposed, actually, to be at the university during semester time. Mm -hmm. So that is from beginning of September um, into December and January into uh, to the very end of April, but exams can then happen through May also. Mm -hmm. And um, first of all, I felt that this was uh, this was hard, yeah, not to be able to accept a gig somewhere, you mm -hmm. know. And uh, this semester, I'm actually going to be in the jury for the, for the competition in Erfurt, Weimar, Altershausen, the Bachlis competition. Mm -hmm. So I will be away for two weeks. And, uh, but my colleagues at McGill have said, you know, we'll cover up for you, no problem. And I will give lessons before, a little bit extra, and also afterwards. So, so I think that that should be fine. But you are actually supposed to be in town during the semesters. And um, it's a lot of work, it's hard work. Um, and they have all the rights to demand that from you also. Exactly. And um, of course you give so much to the organ world, not in, only in person when you teach, but also when you play in other places and teaching of the academies around the world and of course when you compose of course you give yourself your ideas so I thank you Hans Olaf for your tremendous generosity you are doing work that matters for so many people and I wish you many many years ahead of you fruitful years brave years and uh, don't pay attention to the critics Okay, thank you Vidas, it was nice talking to you. Thank you for very good questions. Excellent. If you liked this conversation, I encourage you to visit my blog Secrets of Organ Playing at organduo.lt where you will find lots of insights, practical advice and training for every area of organ playing. 
You can subscribe to this blog for free to get your daily dose of inspiration and to be the first to know when any of my future podcasts roll out. I hope to help you reach your dreams in organ playing. I'm Vida Spinkavitus. Thanks for listening and I'll catch you online really soon.